Lost World Minute, the Minimal Minute podcast reviewing the 997 sequel Jurassic Park one minute time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. Today we're here to discuss Minute 65 of the Lost World. Dave, slow news week, <laughs> slow news month. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was. Yeah, one little bit of uh, news that popped up over on Real News Hawaii that wasn't involved or involving Fallen Kingdom. They posted up a little bit of a feature on their Facebook page showing the, uh, the actual progression of the Jurassic log that... Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much every Jurassic fan that goes to Hawaii gets on the uh, ranch tour and wants to go and get a photo with the log. Um, and they're told on that tour that it is the original log from the original filming. But um, that was only the case up until 2012, when it was replaced by a similar log that was found locally. But <laughs> there is there is some remnants of the old log, because after that much time, it had rotted severely. Uh, they mm-hmm. got some photos Gosh. there of it sort of later in life, and it's actually in a couple of pieces. <laughs> yeah, well, that's to be expected. I mean, it's made of wood, and it's in a tropical environment. What wood uh, rots fast, you know? Mm. Yeah, and that's one thing that's sort of interesting when we get later on to the worker village stuff, where apart from the operations building, all the other structures are made of timber, mm-hmm. um, which shows their sort of decay really well. But one thing I have noticed, or one, one thing I did notice uh, in Jurassic Park Road, and put this up simply to production, um, the same similar architecture buildings, still made of wood, yet they're only showing the same amount of decay as what we see in the Lost World, but it mm-hmm. should be seven or eight years later, not four, so... Yeah. Um, but that, that that's the tropical climate as well. Um, that's why when we've seen the uh, East Dock sign with when Colin tweeted that out before Jurassic World. Um, it was like, really, guys, come on. <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 something years and the sign's still there. It's still got the lettering on and it's laying on the jungle floor too, which yeah. would uh, hasten its decay. But... Oh, yeah, really. And then even then, um, at least it didn't make it into the final movie, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did get an erected sign, which the research sign, but. Um, Again, only a small wooden post going into the ground. You'd think the termites would have got to that long ago. Mm-hmm. But it's a little Easter egg for the film, so... Let it have that. I honestly felt there's more so an Easter egg for the game, actually. That research sign? Yeah. yeah. I felt there's more of a research for um, Jurassic Park, the game. that came out from Telltale. Which was hinting, uh, hinting at... Um... A much, a much bigger park area mm-hmm. and more involved than just a visitor centre that we see in the film. Um, and that's what Colin said when he used that research sign instead of the East Dock sign in the film. He just wanted to build mm-hmm. that build that world. That Okay, you've only seen so much of it in both films, um, but there's so much more there. And whether or not we get to see more of that in Fallen Kingdom, that's yet to be seen. Hopefully we do. Mm-hmm. Robert Burke said that the T-Rex was a rogue who would abandon its young at the earliest opportunity. I know I can prove otherwise. All right, ready to get into 65. Sure. As we ended minute 54 of The Lost World, the trailers and Eddie's M class went sailing over the cliff, leaving the three survivors dangling from a rope. Sarah was the first to emerge over the cliff and was helped up by Roland, followed by Nick, then Ian. As we start, all three of them drop to their knees in exhaustion. 
surrounded by the hunters and their weapons. Kelly runs in from the left and hugs Ian as the dramatic music ends. At 65 minutes and 15 seconds we can cut back to the hunters base camp and a destroyed satellite dish. Rowan's informing us that all the communications equipment was destroyed and if the gatherer's satellite phone was in the RV that went over the cliff and Stucky thanks to Ian and his crew. Tensions escalate. Nick tells Roland that they only came to watch and that the hunters come to strip mine the place. Ludlow tries to counter with at least they'll prepared, but Ian comes right back. The 100 mile electrified fence and five years of planning wasn't enough to save the other island. What were they expecting here? Nick comes back with they have no right. But Ludlow tells him an instinct animal has no right. It, it exists because we made it, we patented it, we own it. At 65 minutes and 48 seconds, Dieter Stark pushes his way past RJ and walks back up to the front of Nick. Nick asks if he has a problem. Dieter says, yeah, I found you, didn't I? The two go at each other. Hunters scramble to pull the men apart. At 65 minutes and 56 seconds, Roland breaks in between the two of them as they're pulled apart. and says, hey, I know you. You're that Earth first bastard, aren't you? And this ends, minute 65, to the Lost World. As we ended 65, we, uh... No, as we ended 64 last week, we, uh... Had Sarah reached the top and Roland helped her up. After re-watching that scene, it wasn't RJ beside Roland. And it wasn't Dieter either. It was just some random uh, hunter. Um, yeah, with a light pack on Yeah, that then he helps um, helps Nick and Ian up. And you can mm-hmm. see RJ's sort of behind the two of them. Um, he's only really the only one that looks like he's keeping watch with his mm-hmm. rifle. Because, of course, the Trenosaurs have only just left the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone else seems everyone occupied. Everyone else is kind of just looking around. I, they probably are. I would assume they're on the lookout, keeping their heads on the swivel about uh, possible predators coming back. But yeah, AJ seems like the only one who's actually prepared for them to come back. Yeah, yeah, and we we see later on when they start trekking through the, the jungle that there's a lot more than what we see here. So you can mm-hmm. safely assume there's other teams out either keeping a perimeter or just keeping keeping their uh, eyes out for the Rexes. Mm-hmm. Um, but our three heroes drop to their knees exhausted and we get Kelly running from the left of screen, which is a bit odd because every, every time we've seen Malcolm run into the camp, even Eddie driving into the camp, it's been from the front or to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether she come with someone or she made her own way there, she's, um, she's on the scene now too and has given Ian a big hug. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then we cut back to the hunter's camp. We're making use of this great set one more time. Um, we've got a destroyed satellite dish on the ground. And um, the little voiceover from Roland saying the communication equipment's been destroyed. And uh, if your satellite phone was in those trails that went over the cliff, Ian butts in and says they were. He says, uh, then we're stuck here, ladies and gentlemen. No thanks to you people. Mm-hmm. And we've got the group of uh, survivors and hunters around this dish about to go at each other. <laughs> yeah, now we see Burke picking around in the satellite dish here. Presumably presumably this was the satellite dish that had been attached to the back of the Humvee that we saw earlier. Yeah. I'm curious, what is he picking around for, you know? And where's the Humvee gone? <laughs> it, should be land, it should be laying on top of the dish unless they've pulled the dish out and it's, it's sort of sitting there for the... For this scene to take place, um, yeah, I always kind of assume it just broke off. 
Yeah. Well, they'd try and salvage it anyway and try to see if it's usable, so they'd need it out from underneath the Humvee for that. Mm. But, yeah, why is, why is the dinosaur guy assessing the condition of the satellite? <laughs> I know, really. You think one of the AV guys they brought along would have done that? Yeah, yeah, there's a few of those. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, there's a guy with the really long hair that we see here in a minute pull um, pull Dieter and Nick apart. But, mm-hmm. but no, uh, but I think it's interesting how um, Dieter's just kind of trying to instigate this fight, which is really, I mean, when you put these kind of two personalities together, any anywhere in the world is going to happen. Yeah. You know? Nick's agitated and Dieter's looking for a fight. And I was just watching... Um, it's Armistice Day today that mm-hmm. we're recording this. Uh, Armistice Day for you guys, Veterans Day for us in the States. Yep. And they had the Pacific on HBO. They had, we were running the series. Oh, yeah? Yep. And it was just funny because, I mean, my dad was in the service, so he knows how it goes, how when you just stick a bunch of guys together, they just mess with each other all day long. <laughs> you know? And this happens. One of the, guy, one of the characters... He's messing with a guy, and he ends up getting his lights punched out, and he's getting in a fist fight. Yeah. That's just what guys do. We're like that. We put a, put a bunch of us together with no women, and we're suddenly turning the cavemen. Well, you can only imagine what happened between um, them leaving the cliff area and coming back to camp, just Dita in the background just sizing him up. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Because uh, Nick takes the opportunity to offer his own opinion on the situation, and uh, mm-hmm. says, hey, we came here to watch... Now, there's a couple of bits of dialogue here that sort of blend and merge together. Um, I always thought it said, you come to Strip Bear, Strip Bear the place, but it's actually Strip Mine the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Dita gets right up close <laughs> into his face here and Nick's, hey, back off. And um, yeah. and Peter Stromer p- pulls this real, this fantastic sort of, oh, I'm scared. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, just, they're just two kids going at it, like... Oh, yeah, definitely. You know you want them and to... And just the kind of personalities that you, that you get, and they just clash so terribly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I'd, I'd love to see Muldoon and Roland sort of in the same situation, whether they'd sort of step up as well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also another thing is that um, Muldoon was a park ranger, whereas Roland was... Roland was the... Um, was a is just a big game hunter... So he, um, it's like, one, they feed off each other, but they're also on different sides. Because Muldoon is on the supply side, while uh, Roland is on the demand side, Hmm. you know? But I'd nearly see Muldoon as being a hunter to start with, and sort of maybe the progression post-Roland, where he's done it all, he's sort of where Roland is at the end of the film, where he's done it all, he just wants to sort of look, look after the animals now, try and save them mm-hmm. from other hunters doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Possibly, anyway. <laughs> um, but um, Ludlow sort of steps in here and says at least they come prepared. And Ian's, <laughs> Ian just gets this weird look on his face and going, what, prepared? And um, Ludlow counters with you destroyed all our equipment. And we get Ian again, five years of work and 100 miles of electrified fence couldn't have saved the other island. What do you think? A couple mm-hmm. dozen Marlboro men were going to make a difference here? Where... <laughs> yeah, Marl- Marlboro men being um, like t- the typical cowboys. Yeah. You see the cowboy boots, the 10-gallon hat, the skinny jeans, the vest, the flannel, all that. The smoking. So, 
What's that? The smoking. Yeah, really. And so um, they're kind of like typically uh, cliche for the gun-ho American, which is really what he's describing here. Is how America, how he just brought a bunch of gung ho idiots to this island, expecting them to be professional. Yeah, yep. Which we're clearly seeing here from Dieter, which was meant to be the second in command, clearly not being professional. Yeah, and that's probably why sort of because Roland made the comments before. This is the last time I leave you in charge. Dieter's pretty much had this whole incident put on his head or his shoulders mm-hmm. as being the one at fault because. He didn't see someone come in and sabotage everything, but um, he's sort of he's sort of looking at the one that's responsible for doing it and singles Nick out as mm-hmm. that person. So, and, and well, it is I mean somewhat his fault because he was supposed to be watching the camp and him and every other person in the camp was just gathered around Rudlow or sorry Ludlow as he gave a speech to the engine board. Yeah, but then why, why is Ludlow saying, "Hey, go and do your stuff. Stop hanging around here or something"? It's but Ludlow's an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ludlow's a glory hound idiot, and I find it interesting that they uh, purposely included in this scene that the first thing we see him grab, or when he looks down, is a flask. Yeah. Yep. He's clearly trying to drink his problems away. He's been doing so on the island the whole time. And if we even if we got that lead scene that we talked about earlier, where Ludlow broke the baby's leg, we'd see that Ludlow is just a drunken idiot. Yeah, and that was going to be he a has question. No idea what, he's, what he's doing. Yeah, and that was going to be a question I was bringing up. There's a couple of points here where he sort of he trails off, or he doesn't quite seem coherent, and I'm just wondering how how uh, drunk he still is from the the incident earlier. Um, because he was stumbling around that, that table. Guy. Sorry? He was stumbling around that table when he was doing yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I have a feeling that when that uh, the camp got trashed, he got sobered up a little bit. <laughs> you know? Well, as we see at the end um, of the next, of minute 66, the um, he sort of rediscovers that hip flask again, which makes me wonder, okay, he hasn't had any alcohol since the camp was destroyed, but... Mm-hmm. Um, You'd think if you just dodged a Triceratops charging through a tent, the first thing you'd want to do is try and find <laughs> that broken mm-hmm. case of scotch and get something out of it. But, um, but um, I just think it's funny how um, there is, you can see, especially during this scene, is that from this point on, Lud, or I'm sorry, Roland clearly does not trust Ludlow at all. Mm. As soon as he, uh, Ludlow brings out the map to the worker village, he's just like. Okay, I'm taking this here. AJ, take care of this. I'm not giving. I'm not letting Ludlow be in charge of this. Yeah, exactly. And and that's... He's just the one leading the charge from here on out. It's not. It's may have been Ludlow's financing, but Roland's in charge. Yeah, and it's like Roland's intro with the monologue, where he's sort of, "You're in charge. That's that's fine." Um, but he doesn't want to listen to any more suicidal ideas, and so now it's the point where Ludlow's stuffed up and he's going right i'm i'm taking control because mm-hmm. again like in the next minute as well like you're just saying with that and also um ludlow says there's a problem with going to where they're going and sort of trails off because he finds his hip flask and Rowan's like what mm-hmm. what's the problem and gets annoyed at him because he's more concerned about his hip flask and telling the group why 
trekking to the centre mm-hmm. of the island's an issue, but we know yeah. why why that is. Um, but it's you know, it's good here too because sort of whether he's drunk or not, Ludlow sort of scoffs at the comment, um, and sort of he's just he's just putting his torch down, looking at the the remains of the dish, and sort of really ignoring mm-hmm. what Ian's saying. Um, mm-hmm. But then uh, Nick sort of pipes up again and it's a looter mentality and uh, you only care with what you can take and that they have no right and um, Ludlow sort of gets serious for a minute here and says an extinct animal brought back has no rights it exists because we made it we painted it and we earned it um, mm-hmm. well it's actually we own it but um, it sounds like he's saying we earned it an interesting morality question that I wouldn't mind discussing now is that um, does an animal does an animal brought back uh, from extinction, say they bring back the dodo, does that animal possess the same animal rights as, say, an, an orangutan in Sumatra? Hmm. Does it have the same rights as an ex- endangered animal? Does it have the same rights as any animal not to be abused or to be mistreated or to be starved or anything like that? Exactly. Or is it a company's intellectual property? Yeah. yeah. I think that brings up a very important morality question that I know I've certainly engaged in debates with the fans with. Mm. And especially at this point, too, where it's still a secret. It's mm-hmm. they've, they've done all this secret research on the islands, um, mm-hmm. and they've brought these animals back. So you could sort of go after Dodo... Um, thing as well is what then happens if that population were to get out of control or to grow because I might be confusing my birds but weren't they the ones that sort of took over other birds nests or was that the Um, I don't believe so the problem with dodos is that they bred very slowly so when Uh, uh, brought pigs to um, like some Mauritania I want to call it I can't remember what it was but it was a small island off the coast of Madagascar, which was where these animals, where these birds mainly lived, and humans brought pigs with them, of course, because they wanted they brought pigs pretty much wherever they went, yep. and that's well, why I'm we still... have wild hogs in the United States, yep. which are a problem. Yeah, we got the same problems here. <laughs> yeah, and so the and so they the pigs would eat the dodos' eggs, and dodos are slow to breed, so it, it was that's what partially. Uh, cause our extinction, along with humans just seeing these animals as a phenomenon and killing them off because they wanted they just wanted them to be trophies and some even ate them. Some mm. people, they became like a prized delicacy. <laughs> some museums wanted them all over the place. I remember reading a horrible story about how this um, one museum, it was like the last two, it was like the last breeding pair of I can't remember, it's like a, it was in the Arctic, it was some Arctic bird, and they only bred on this one island, and or on these select few islands within the Arctic, and so what happened was, because uh, museums were in such demand for specimens of this bird, that people would go out and poach them, and the last breeding pair uh, the were hunted down and found on this island, the eggs were smashed because they were of no scientific use, and they killed the birds. For science, for science, they 
uh, they created an extinction. Was that to sort of taxidermy the birds so they had um, a physical representation of them in the museum, or was that for something else? I think it was just for scientific study. Okay, because that's well, yeah, even that—that's another dark thing as well. If you got only mm-hmm. got a couple left and you want to um, preserve their DNA or what they actually were by mm-hmm. killing the last ones that are left. Exactly. <laughs> um, there's been there's been some things hinted about Fallen Kingdom that there might be some animal rights stuff involved in that, but mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see it sort of brought to the forefront or at least mentioned in the films because it's a very it's a very serious question. But again, so you've got a population of there may a couple of hundred animals, if that, on sauna. Mm-hmm. Um, as far, yeah. as far as we know, nothing on Nublar, so it's the sauna animals we're looking at here. Um, because they've been brought back by the lab, but now you've got sort of, you're onto maybe second, third generation animals. Are they, are they painting it to InGen? Is there a mm-hmm. point, is there a point where the animals breeding sort of, um, their genetic makeup gets away from what InGen created in the first place? Um, um, I wouldn't say so. I'd have to say that because it's basically uh, they're all clones of the same, so they're all clones of the same animal. Yeah. I'd say that inbreeding and incest would be more of a problem than anything. So yeah, so and instead it'd be of a lack of genetic diversity. Yeah, so instead of it leaning you out, get, you get odd uh, mutations like when you over inbreed a uh, dog. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that way you'd get sort of more of the gen DNA material spread around mm-hmm. and actually being weaned out, weaned out of them. But, and then you you get tiger raptors and maybe Jurassic Park free raptors <laughs> if if you sort of use that to explain the differences in species or subspecies. But, um, mm. Being only four years four years out, I'd probably say yes, they're still InGen's patented property. But I think if they got to a larger number, mm-hmm. you'd probably you'd probably start saying right. There's a well, even now it's a self-contained ecosystem, so mm-hmm. they're they're doing fine by themselves. There's no InGens hasn't helped them to this point. So mm-hmm. you could, you could say okay, you had the property. We can only assume they took the painting out for more than twelve months. Might have been, would have to be more than five years. I don't know how you're painting a dinosaur. That's another question <laughs> altogether. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Which will probably. But, the, but I think it was more so they patented the um, they patent but they patented the version numbers and the DNA uh, sequences that they created. Not necessarily they told the patent office they created dinosaurs, but they created this DNA sequence that was uh, thus it was like it's like Apple patenting the. Um, Apple or the OS X system. It's not exactly. They didn't. They didn't patent the plastic uh, tubing around the iPhone. Yep. I mean they did, but I think the guy actually got struck down when Samsung copied the design and <laughs> said, and the court said you can't just copy a shape or you can't patent a shape. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I mean they own the OS within that shape. They own all the components that create the shape. But they don't actually own the shape itself. Yeah, know? yeah. InGen would so have own the dinosaur itself, but they do 
own their D- the DNA and everything that makes it up. Yeah, the like the genes, gene splicing, <laughs> um, all that sort of scientific stuff required to do it or to make something they've probably patented, but not the actual animal itself. Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, museums got to send InGen a nickel every time they mention the word dra- uh, oh. dinosaurs, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. It'd be brilliant if they could, but I don't think they could get away with that. Mm. But yeah, you brought up Fallen Kingdom earlier, and I think that's what's great about The Lost World is that it does have this message. It does have this kind of anti-animal cruelty message. And that was something that I really wanted for Jurassic World to have, and I think I brought this up earlier, or previously in previous minutes, is that I wanted the movie to have this kind of blackfish message. It seemed like a very timely moment to bring it up, Hmm. you know? Yeah, and we've seen earlier too, like, when Ludlow was doing his little investor meeting, we've seen what Jurassic Park San Diego looks like, small cages. Mm -hmm. He said that um, Hammond's dream was ultimately impossible, and um, they want to go back to that small amphitheater-type setup. Well, that's a problem in itself, where you've gone from having a large biological preserve with these animals sort of only really um, mm-hmm. sectioned off by fences. Well, the herbivores mm-hmm. weren't, it was just the dangerous ones had the fences. And um, you're going to bring them back to these refined or small cages, concrete concrete, and probably fake flower, or flake greenery and all that sort of stuff and just create these fake this fake world with your animals in it um, mm-hmm. maybe not, not so much in 1997 but definitely now if, if any idea like that was floated um, you only got to look at sort of the issues going around with sort of caged hens and um, shed farms like farms that are inside buildings mm-hmm. and stuff like that and even zoos are still struggling from time to time with protesters and that because of the whole animal rights stuff there as well and, and they're actually living living and sometimes near endangered animals that couldn't mm-hmm. survive out in the real world there are some bad zoos but there are a lot of other ones as well that sort of have their like their wildlife rescue sort of stuff that happens and it's just interesting how dinosaurs would fit into that whole equation mm-hmm. I also kind of wanted to bring up that uh, going back to what I said about the um, going back to what I said about those Arctic birds is it almost kind of echoes what uh, Ian Malcolm said in the first movie about how what you call discovery I call the rape of the natural world. Yeah. The way you know, and that's you can still kind of feel that vibe going on in this in this uh, scene here where we see Ludlow and Ian butt heads. Mm. You know. Mm. I think too at this point he's sort of he's beyond the discussion about it. He's mm-hmm. um he's been doing that since ninety three. We even done it then on the island and was ignored and he was right. We got some um some good stuff going on in the background here too, sort of the hunters all checking supplies, which was a lot more in the forefront in the pre San Diego script and even in the other script where they do a bit of a inventory of what's left. Um Mm-hmm. And we get to see some of those major league toys, as Eddie described them. Those um, shoulder-mounted flashlights or lights they've got are actually um, there's a collar they put around their neck with sensors in it. So when they turn their heads, the lights actually pivot on the shoulders with their head movement. So if they look left, mm-hmm. the, to- the, to- the lights look left, and so forth. So um, it's sort of 
showing some of the other stuff that's left that didn't get destroyed in the stampede. Um, but we don't get to see any of that because um, Dita comes back into the frame and uh, Nick sort of looks at him, you're looking for a problem? And Dita says, yeah, I found you, didn't I? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and the two men go at it. And we mm-hmm. get uh, Hunters, like we get Sarah saying, hey, and um, get the Hunters Burke sort of goes after Dita to try and pull him back. And it's interesting here too because we get Carter. We see get to see Carter again sort of come in and he's one of the main mm-hmm. ones that push Dita back out of the way. And uh, Roland steps in between the two and sort of looks at Nick, points at Nick. Oh, I know you. You're the first bastard, aren't you? <laughs> And that's where the minute leaves off. So we get to see the rest of that conversation uh, in the next minute. And mm-hmm. uh, even though it's not in the film, where Roland recognises Nick from. But uh, anything else on 65 you want to break before we get out of here? No, yeah, I think we covered that one pretty thoroughly. Awesome. Okay. All right, guys. Let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. Email feedback to the Lost World Minutes at gmail.com, Facebook The Lost World Minutes, Twitter at The Lost World Minutes, and Instagram The Lost World Minutes. Easy to remember. Yeah, yep, yeah, very easy to All remember. Right. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. You're welcome. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life will find a way.